Welcome. My name is Phil. Um, I'm on our pastoral team at St. Pete's, and it's a joy to be with you this morning. Um, a few weeks ago, someone had come to me and asked, what is the next series we're doing at St. Pete's? And I kind of joyfully responded very wittily, and I said, well, we're doing the lectionary, which is a three-year-long series that rotates every three years, and it journeys through most of the Bible. And they kind of looked at me a little mouth agape, and I said, come on, we're used to long series here at St. Pete's. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke for four years, so the lectionary is no different. And so good news in two ways. First of all, we, we are going to be returning to the Gospel of Luke in the summer, and we will finally close out our four-year journey through the Gospel. But the good news is the lectionary, though it's a three-year series, is broken up into nice seasons, you could say, church calendar seasons, but ones that give us a theme that we're working through. And right now, we're in the season of Epiphany. And Grady last week did a wonderful job of introducing us to this season of Epiphany, reminding us what an Epiphany is. An aha moment, a revelation, the, the thing that always comes to my mind is Archimedes running through the streets of Greece, um, just clothed with the water from his bathtub, shouting Eureka, because to him there was an unveiling of the world of mathematics. He finally came to understand a great thing. And an epiphany is an unveiling, a scene of something we did not see, a scene something from above. And the season of epiphany is a season of unveiling. And so the really beautiful thing with the lectionary guide is it brings us story after story of unveilings, of revealings, of moments of people seeing. And I love the song the band did today because it was glimpsing at many epiphany moments that show up through scripture. And one of the most important things about this season is looking at other epiphanies reminds us of our own. I was chatting with a friend and he talked about how he loves going to weddings and hearing people commit their vows. Because he said, when I say, or when I hear their vows, I remember my own. And in the same way, this season of epiphany is so important because we see other epiphanies, other revealings of God, and we're reminded of the times or invited to have our own epiphany, remember those times that God has revealed himself to us. So that's the goal of the season of epiphany. And today I want to look at two epiphanies that we see in our readings. First, the epiphany to Samuel, and then the epiphany to Philip and Nathaniel. How does that sound? Good. And with that, I want to look at these not as moral lessons, but as model lessons, things that teach us how to respond when we have an epiphany. And what we'll see is growing stages of faith for these individuals involved. So let me pray, and then we'll dive in. Father God, um, we speak the, Lord's of Samuel, uh, the words of Samuel today. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Give us words to hear and give us ears to hear them, Lord. Be with us in your name. Amen. So our first epiphany takes place in Samuel, and I love the way 1 Samuel 3 opens. It says, the boy Samuel um, ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many visions. The biblical writers here are, are wonderful storytellers setting up this incredible story for us, and they first introduce us to two characters, Samuel and Eli. Samuel is this young boy who was born to a mother who struggled with infertility for many years, and she cried out to God saying, give me a child, give me a son, and I will give him back to you. And so she gives birth to Samuel, and she brings Samuel to the temple, and she dedicates Samuel's life to serving at the temple. We read that in Samuel, 1 Samuel 1 and 2. And Eli, as our text tells us, is a man who cannot see. And this is always a playful word when you see people that are blind and 
in Scripture because it's more than just a physical blindness. There's a spiritual blindness at work in Eli. He can't see. He can't see how God is working, and he's become corrupt and failed as that indictment comes against him. So we have these two characters, a young boy, Samuel, working in the temple, and an old man, Eli, who can't see how God is working. And then the words, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many visions. We've got a bit of a Chekhov's gun moment. It's been loaded, it's been set on the table, and we're just waiting for it to fire, you could say. The only question is, who will pull the trigger? So, violent reference. I don't know why. <laughs> but we have this story in front of us. We know what's about to happen. There's been not many visions. The word of the Lord has been rare, and that's what's going to happen today. What I want to focus on is the responses when the word of the Lord comes. This story has been so foundational for me for many years. So Samuel has this epiphany moment. Let's look at his responses. Um, God speaks Samuel's name as he's sleeping in the temple. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel wakes up. And without knowing it, he responds with some of the most important words in faith you can say. Here I am. My Old Testament professor, Dr. Barker, and my Hebrew professor, also named Dr. Barker, father-son, they always brought up this word, here I am. And in Hebrew, the word is hanani. And I loved the way the younger Dr. Barker would say, he would go, hanani. And it's like God shows up, says the person's name, and then the person goes, hanani, here I am. I'm present. I'm present. I'm here. I'm listening. But it's more than just present. It, it, it's so foundational for a couple moments, for a couple reasons. First, let's look at some of the places we see it. In, in Genesis 22, God speaks to Abraham as he's about to test him. And it says this, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham. Abraham responded, Hanani, here I am. Or in Exodus, God speaks to Moses. It says, When the word of the Lord, or when the Lord saw that Moses was coming closer, he called to him from the middle of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Hanani, here I am. Yes, here I am. And then in the prophet Isaiah, it says this, then the voice of the Lord, um, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And Isaiah plays with it a little. He doesn't say Hanani. He uses the same root, but he says, here am I. Send me. This little change of phrase, but still the same goal. I'm here, I'm present, and I'm listening. Not just I'm standing here in this place, but I am open to what you're going to do. But the reason I find the words, here I am, so significant in Scripture is because of the place they are not. If you want to find the importance of something, first look for where it's not. And the first place you don't find, here I am, is in the very beginning of Scripture. In Genesis 3, we read this. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves coverings. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And this is the most important part. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. This is the first and most important reason of why here I am is so important, because in the very beginning of Scripture, 
It's not there. Adam and Eve disobey God. They feel shame and guilt, and they do the most human thing. They just hide. And then God calls out to them, gives them this chance, and they remain hidden for a little bit. And it's interesting, in English it says he called to the man, but Adam is man. It says ha-adam, the Adam, the man. It's a name and a noun. And he calls to him, and he gives Adam a chance, and Adam hides. So as, as Moses, as Abraham, as Samuel, as Isaiah say these words, here I am, they're showing us an alternative path to hiding. Where our father and mother in humanity, Adam and Eve, teach us shame and guilt responses of hiding, these forebearers of faith show us from what it means to respond faithfully. They give us a model. Here I am, Lord. I'm not hiding myself. I'm fully in front of you. Guilt and wart and all. Here I am. I love that. And the second reason that here I am is important is it's not just I'm here and present. One commentator refers to these words, Hineni, here I am, as servant words. They're words that we say to people that are in charge of us, saying, I'm here and ready to do what you're saying, ready to do what you ask. So those are kind of the first two vital things to understand about the words, here I am. And there's something so interesting going on as the passage moves. One more thing about here I am. So in verse 10, it says, The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times. The gun's been fired, right? It starts off, God is not speaking. The word of the Lord is rare. And then God comes and stands up. He stands up, calling as at the other times. And to me, this is is so beautiful with an a New Testament understanding of Scripture because Scripture uses anthropomorphic language or human language to describe God's actions. And it asks us a question, does God have legs? And in a Christian perspective, think about it for a moment, the answer is yes and no, right? No, God does not have legs. He's the omnipotent creator of the universe, larger than all we can see. But in Christ, in the Trinity, we see Jesus born God take on flesh and blood and have legs. And so there's this incredible playfulness that I don't think the scriptural writers were originally intending. Because the New Testament teaches us that Jesus is the word of the Lord. God, the word of the Lord, takes on flesh and blood, legs to stand in. One of my pastor buddies back home, he refers to this as time-traveling Jesus. Jesus showing up all throughout the history of Scripture. And so we have this moment, the word of the Lord stands up. This is not just an auditory epiphany to Samuel. This is a physical, visual, auditory epiphany. God stands before him. And as we remember that, it should bring us to the end of Scripture. Because in the end of Scripture, in the book of Revelation, Jesus says the most important, here I am, possible. He says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears me and opens up the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I said earlier that here I am are the most important words we can say in faith. They may be the very beginning of faith. But the thing is, here I am are the second and first words in faith. And we say it second. We say it responsively. Jesus stands at the door and knocks. 
and says, here I am, will you let me in? And the response that Samuel and many others in faith show us is to open the door and say, here I am, standing before you. So the first and second words in faith, the invitation and the response. I love that. Maybe some of you are, are there in your journey. You've sensed the knocking at the door, and you're trying to say, here I am. Here's permission. But Samuel shows us the first, second, and third stages of faith. God knocking at the door, us responding, but a movement. A movement from simply I'm here and listening to something more. And see, so three times Samuel hears, here I am, or hears his name, and he responds, here I am. Runs over to the old man, Eli, and he says, here am I. And he's like, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. But then Eli finally catches what's going on. So there's actually a momentary redemption for Eli. This blind man who's failed in countless ways understands that the word of the Lord has moved from him to someone else. And so he gives Eli words to say. And I think this is so important because sometimes there's moments we hit in faith where we've hit our ceiling on our own. We need someone else to come beside us and say, say these words. Follow this way. And so he says to Samuel, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And to me, this is kind of the next major stage in faith. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Let's break this apart and see what's going on. First, speak. This, of course, doesn't just say, say words or make mouth sounds. It means give me instruction. Tell me what to do. Because I don't know what to do on my own. And even more than that, in the Hebrew people's mind, the word of the Lord was life. Life came from the words that God speaks. So it's, it's give me instruction, but also fill me with life as you speak. And notice the phrasing. He says, speak, Lord, your servant. The second part is so important because Eli and Samuel rightly order themselves underneath God. It's not speak, God. I demand an account of your actions. It's speak because I'm your servant. And I think many of us in our modern culture, we get to the speak, God. We've got our list of questions. But we don't often say, speak, God, you're the one in charge, not me. And it leads to the final word, the most servant word possible, listening. This is the Hebrew word shema, and it's so important throughout the entire Old Testament because it means so much more than listening. It's not just there are sounds coming into my ears, tickling them and sending electrical pulses in. It's I'm listening to what you're saying, hearing it, understanding it, and doing it. One of the ways that I think of listening, maybe this is also your favorite YouTube video, there's this little kid that's gone and stolen cookies from the cookie jar, and then his mom comes in and finds him, and he's like three and a half, four years old, and he goes, Linda, 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 honey, honey, listen to me. Listen to me, honey. And she's like, no, you're not listening to me. He goes, no, you're not listening to me. And it's like a four-minute back-and-forth video of the most adorable child that just refers to his mother by first name. Linda, listen, listen, honey. And then she's going back, and the issue is they're both having a, an issue with translation. Neither of them are saying the proper thing. We use the poor term, listen, but it's you're not doing what I'm asking you to do. I'm a failure and a culprit of this many times. My wife will talk to me, and my ADHD just takes me down its own path. 
And then she's like, were you even listening? I asked you to do this. And I was like, oh, okay. I missed all that. And what I need to learn to say is, honey, I completely didn't listen to you. The sounds came into my ears and tickled my brain, and I didn't do anything you asked me to do. Can you please repeat everything you just said? That's essentially what Samuel is saying here. He comes to God, says, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. My ears are open, and I'm going to do what you say. Not just, it's going to fall upon me. And maybe in, in your journey in faith, that's where you're at, is God, I just stopped listening. Can you repeat everything you just said? Because I, I want to listen again, and I failed at doing that. So Samuel models for us this journey, right? First, God is present, then he is present, but then he moves from this and he says, I don't just want to be here. I want to do what you have to say. Just a wonderful journey there. And I think for you, maybe where your journey is at is you said, here, you heard God's here I am, you responded with your own, and you just said, speak, Lord. I think another way we could call this is we live in a culture that is spiritual, not religious. People are actually okay with us saying, I believe in God and I believe we can be near him, and I believe God even speaks. But it's we don't want to listen to him. We don't want God to tell us what to do. We don't want God to challenge us. We don't want God to pinpoint the places we're doing things wrongly. But when we come to church, we say, speak, Lord. We're listening, and we want to do what you're saying. And there's so many ways that you can do that first. I mean, good job. You're here on a Sunday morning, hopefully listening. Otherwise, I hope this tickles your brain. You can be involved in community and, speak, and hear the word of the Lord speak through one another. And of course, most importantly, you can come to Scripture, the words about the word of God the place where God speaks to us. And along the way, we'll hear things like, God loves you and died for you, love your neighbor as yourself, turn the other cheek, pray for your enemies, or maybe this from James, true religion is looking after widows and orphans in their distress and keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. We'll hear words that encourage us and challenge us. We'll hear, as it says later, words that tickle our ears, tingle our ears. I love that. Just so, such playful little language there. So three, kind of four stages of movement thus far. And Samuel then follows through with these words. He brings this indictment against Israel, and then it ends with Samuel being a true prophet of God and the word of the Lord being heard through Samuel and Israel. But our gospel reading, and this is one of the reasons that I love how the lectionary works, it takes that one reading and then matches it with a similar theme. It finishes the rest of the narrative for us because our gospel reading comes in with the fourth and kind of major final stage. Our gospel reading captures this brief story of Philip inviting Nathaniel to come and follow Jesus. And it's, it's actually the third story in three stories of Jesus calling people. See, John the Baptist sees Jesus to his disciples and he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And two disciples leave John and start following Jesus, Philip being one of them. Philip comes to Jesus and he says, I want to follow you. Tell me where you're staying. Philip kind of rephrases, here I am, and speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. He says, I'm here. I want to follow you, and I want to stay where you're staying. I want to live like you. I want your dust to cover me. But then he takes it one step further, and he says, this isn't just for me. I've been changed. My world has been flipped upside down, and I want this for someone else. So he goes to Nathaniel. 
And we don't know the relationship. Maybe they were brothers or friends or cousins or co-workers. Maybe he was a brother-in-law. Maybe he was just a random guy he saw on the street. We're not sure. But he goes to Nathaniel and he says this, we found him. The one who Moses and the prophets spoke about. In our context, we can say, we found the word of the Lord who stood in front of Samuel. Jesus of Nazareth. Philip has had this epiphany and he responds with faith and he goes and shares it. That's all sharing our faith is, right? Something incredible has happened to us and we want other people to know about it. And I think in church we can often overcomplicate it. It's as easy as recommending your favorite show or book. This changed my life and I hope it does for you too. And Philip goes to Nathaniel and I love Nathaniel's response because Philip is like, like, we found him and Nathaniel responds, can anything good come from Nazareth? Because Nazareth is like a backwater town. It's like, can anything good come from New West? Like, really? Sorry if you're from New West. Can anything good come from North End? Like, we're in the city for a reason. <laughs> but he says these words, and it's immediate doubt. It's like, you're wrong. This can't be true. And maybe that's been your experience in faith. You got like, you became a Christian. You're excited. You go tell someone, and it's just hitting a brick wall. You say, oh, I've become a Christian. Do you want to come to church? And the person responds, isn't the church filled with judgmental, hateful, bigoted people? Okay. Or religion, isn't that just the opium of the masses? Christianity, isn't that just the tool of powerful colonizers in the West to subjugate and oppress the masses through shame, guilt, and, and unrealistic moral standards? And suddenly the wind in your sails just drops. The doubt is there. The questions are there. And we don't feel like we can well answer. And I think Philip gives us such an interesting model because he doesn't try to answer all the doubt. He doesn't say, well, let me give you my four-point pitch of why this is, is right. He doesn't grab a Bible and throw it at Nathaniel's face. He says, come and see. Come and see. And these words are words of trust. I can't convince you. There's nothing I can say. The evidence is big against it. I understand there's nothing I can do. But if you come and see the word of the Lord standing before you, if you have an epiphany, maybe that will be enough. Because I won't. And so Philip has this deep trust in who Jesus is. And who Jesus has shown himself to be. So he just goes to Nathaniel and he says, just come and see with me. I won't answer all your questions, but he might. And that's exactly what happens. Nathaniel encounters Jesus, and Jesus speaks words of joy over him, calling him a trustworthy Israelite. And then he's like, how do you know me? He's like, oh, I saw you under the fig tree. And we're all like, what does that mean? We don't know what ha was happening, but Nathaniel has his own epiphany. And what we see is cycles of epiphany, seasons of epiphanies. One person hears the door being knocked, opens it up, says, here I am. Someone teaches that person the words to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then the words they hear is to invite someone else. Come and see. And the cycle continues. Again and again, each year, each week, each month. 
And so in Epiphany, we remember our own epiphanies, but we remember that we are being invited to be the voice of the Lord to someone else, to invite them to come and see. So I don't know where each of you are in your journey in faith. Maybe you're just exploring and feeling a knock at the door. Maybe you're beginning to say, here I am. Maybe you've been showing up for a while and you're ready to say those words, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you've dropped off the last bit. And we need to say again, I'm listening. Can you repeat that again? And maybe you're being invited to speak to someone else and say, come and see. The creator of the universe is here. The word of the Lord is here. The person you've been waiting for but did not know is knocking at the door. So my hope and prayer for you, no matter where you are in your journey, is you would learn to hear God's voice. And more than that, my hope and prayer for you is that you are willing to listen and respond wherever you are in that journey. And my prayer for us as a church is that with joy and love for the city and world around us, for our neighbors and coworkers, our family, even if they're from New West, we say, come and see. The one you're waiting for is here. That sounds like good news to me. Let me pray.